Welcome to the third episode of the Canadian Museums Association podcast. This final presentation of the three-part series centered on the future of Canada's museums. Viewed through the lens of the CMA's 2022 conference theme, Dismantling Foundations to Build a Better Tomorrow. In the series, we're hearing from three speakers sharing their perspectives of the present, past, and future of the Canadian museum sector. Massimo Bergamini is CEO and Executive Director of the Canadian Museums Association. Heather George is an Indigenous curator currently working at the Woodland Cultural Centre and a CMA board member. And Luann Neal is an artist and arts advocate currently working at Creative BC, British Columbia's creative industry catalyst, following a three-year tenure as head of Indigenous collections at the Royal BC Museum. Luann is also a member of the CMA Reconciliation Council. The role of museums, as important as it was 50 years ago, is even more relevant, more important today. Massimo Bergamini looks to the future of Canadian museums with optimism. As chief executive of the Canadian Museums Association, he represents more than 500 heritage institutions across the country, large and small. Now is the time to come together and make the case for a new partnership with governments, a partnership that would change the old business models and actually give us the wherewithal to do what we need to do. We need to do a better job as a community, as a sector, in explaining to Canadians and to governments at all levels why museums matter, why they matter now perhaps more than any time in our history, and what we can do together to help move the country forward. That's a role that the CMA can't play on its own. It would have no credibility. It really requires the amplification of CMA's messages and advocacy by its members. In order to achieve that important role, Canadian museums are facing many pressures to change. Changing local governance to be more transparent and inclusive, changing the work environments to be more culturally aware and safe, and changing access to opportunities. Heather George is an accomplished curator and member of the association's board. She talks about the need for also changing the stories museums tell. I often hear the complaint about revisionist history. This is like a popular thing right now to throw at people when they're like going back and sort of rewriting history. And I don't think that that's an accurate thing to say because that sort of is based on this idea that historical narratives are frozen in time. And we know even if we aren't including an anti or decolonial lens in our historical work, we find new material all the time that changes the way we think about history. So history is always changing, it's not static. And to try and pretend that it's anything else is doing a disservice to the general public, but also to underrepresented groups in the public. Changing the narrative will be a long process. We're in early days. We're having the conversations, which is great. And there's a lot of allies, a lot of good people out there who are interested in creating change. And they're willing to hear what Indigenous communities and other minority and underrepresented communities have to say. They really are. 
but I don't think that a lot of people necessarily have the tools in place. So that gets back to like HR policies, collecting policies, all those types of things, right? We don't have the tools necessarily, and we don't necessarily have enough education yet. And we're at baby steps, but it's okay. It's okay that we're at the early stages because this work can't be done without establishing relationships. It needs to be done, not just in your head, not just intellectually, but as heart work. And that takes time. And even though I wish things could change tomorrow, the reality is, is that colonization is not going away. This is a history we have to live with and a reality we have to live with for, for time, I'm going to say, because I don't think we can really time travel back and like be like, oh, no, go away, ships. Please don't land here. That's not realistic. Canada as a state is not going away. We have all these policies and laws that are so much bigger than us. So we kind of have to find a way to coexist. Something Luann Neal hopes to see is improved documentation and identifying the artifacts in collections and where they came from. I think that there needs to be more investment and more strategy, not just throwing money at it, but real genuine strategy in museums linking together across this country to talk about what is in the collection and where are the items that have very little to no information. And let's get going on some research to clarify where these things actually belong. It's not going to help us in the short term build and strengthen those relationships with communities if we keep saying, I'm sorry, we don't know if we have anything of yours here. And I had to say that a few times to communities, not to make them go away, but just to be truthful with them and say, I actually can't tell from our database whether your community has anything here. And we end up going in a big circle saying, what did anthropologists used to call you? What did linguists used to call you? And how many different spellings are there for your language or your tribe or your geographic village location? So it ends up being a lot of different research and it's very, very challenging and very frustrating, not only for communities, but for museum professionals who can't honestly answer the questions. So I think that getting some strategy together around that, perhaps the Canadian Museums Association annual conference can be an opportunity to spend time and dedicate a part of that conference every year to holding those discussions, talk about what's working, new innovative approaches that are happening. New approaches come about every day. I would really love to have more of those discussions with my colleagues. Another change, the hiring process at museums. I was very much involved in the early 90s in the employment equity policy for the province of BC. And all of the discussions we had around that was this always still treating Indigenous people and people of colour as this arm's length group that there needed to be this bridge and this patchwork done to be inclusive. But what it wasn't recognizing is in the actual interview process, the questions that are asked often don't give the candidate an opportunity to talk about their lived experience. And that lived experience, I think, is central to the relationships that these organizations are seeking. So when you ask all these technical questions and you're just drawing from things that they may have learned in a particular class while they were in university, you're not getting a sense of whether this individual on the ground is going to be able to establish and maintain these relationships. Massimo Bergamini says healing relationships is another priority. 
The organization, through its leadership board and staff, have been working hard to rebuild those relations that were somewhat frayed over the last few years. So we need the community to step up. We need the community to join us. We need the community to speak to us. We need the community to tell us when we're doing things well and tell us when we're doing things poorly. It's going to take a bit of time and a bit of work for us to really be critical in our museology and be critical of narratives and to get everybody to the point that they're comfortable with being critical so that they don't feel that it's about them or that they are bad people or that their ancestors are bad people. Because when you're doing this work, it can be really, really hard for people not to take it personally. So I'm probably one of the worst for this. I'll just be like, ah, those old white guys, (laughs) right? And that's not really helpful, realistically. I don't mean my director or whatever, who's older than me and a white male. I don't mean him individually. I mean the systems that created these structures of power. But when I say something like that, Of course, people are going to probably take it personally, but I'm not also always my best. There are days that doing this work is really hard and I am researching about my community and I am dealing with the lived realities of colonization. And so some days I come to work and I just hate the system, right? (laughs) And I just want to rail against it. So it takes kindness and patience on both sides, I guess. The effect and impact of the TRC is that there's been a transition where you're just a voice with a special lived experience, but that lived experience, it lateralizes across a lot of different areas. So can museums survive these needs for change? Do they have a future? Luann Neal is optimistic. I'm really actually excited about that possibility because I think that the fact of the matter is, that, and I don't have any hard statistics on this, but it would be an interesting study to have a look at the percentage of items in any given museum in this country to find out how many actually have all the backup documents that support their claim to have acquired it legitimately and not under duress. And that's a whole other conversation right there under duress when things were taken out of our communities, especially when people were being relocated and then someone followed in behind and took treasures out of their communities. So that has to happen. But this whole idea around repatriating and then hitting the reset button and saying, as museums, And in many other cases, I'll say non-Indigenous, whether it's a natural history museum or if it's looking at the the social history of the surrounding nations, there are processes and abilities to commission pieces, to have pieces brought in by the nation by their own account, that they want this in a museum. So why haven't we been doing that? I think we see good examples of it when we use terminology such as traditional versus contemporary, which again, another whole discussion right there. But say a curator in a museum might say, okay, this is a silkscreen print. It's very modern. We'll put it in our contemporary indigenous collection. So let's purchase it from the company that printed it and the artist gets a royalty from that. So everything looks really nice on the surface and probably is a good arrangement. But the fact is that they've gone through a process of consciously either commissioning or purchasing. So that is a possibility. So I think we should definitely look at that. Museums also rely a great deal on people donating. 
and bringing forward entire collections, which we're seeing, again, a lot of because of people who may have gathered earlier in the century and who have passed on and now their descendants aren't sure what to do with these treasures. So they bring them to museums and donate them. So all of those things are possible. You know, what I heard the most in talking with First Nations communities about repatriation is that stuff was stolen. And it's a big difference from having an institution that's filled with stolen items and an institution that has worked really closely with communities to commission or receive donations that have all the legitimate paperwork behind them to show that the person has the right to donate it to a museum in the first place. So I think there's conversations that some people might be afraid to engage in because it's going to surface the fact that some items in museums are indeed stolen. And it's a difficult discussion, but that's the truth. And then we have something to reconcile. But importantly for Massimo Bergamini is a clear government policy before a new funding model. Are we actually going to be serving our sector by saying, well, just add an additional $100 million a year to the MAP envelope? No. What we need to do is really come together and say, what do we want to do? What do we need in our institutions in terms of capacity, human capacity, financial capacity, programmatic capacity, and so on, to achieve these things, this dynamic and forward-looking agenda that we have for the country, and then translate that into a suite of programs that would support it. Which is why our position is to say to the government of Canada, we're not going to come to you with a monetary ask until we've had a chance to work with you towards a new national museum policy. What we need from you, Government of Canada, is to sit down with us, work through this reflection with us, reach a consensus on a vision of Canada and the role that museums can play in this, and then you, Government of Canada, translate it into a policy framework and policy commitments that create your accountability, and then we'll put together the quantums that are required. Otherwise, we keep playing the same game and we're really just kicking the can down the proverbial street. And Luann Neal says, despite the many delays over the years, she has seen progress and is confident in seeing more. And I think if we go back to the 1994 task force on museums and first peoples, there was a great number of recommendations made there, some of them especially around policies. There was a time when museums used to actually display ancestral remains for once. Well, After lots of discussion and lots of feedback from our communities about how absolutely wrong that was to do that, it stopped. A lot of museums, at least in Canada, there are still museums around the world that still display human remains, but the conscious effort was made to stop that. So that's a good example of what can be done quite simply on the ground at the program level. And then afterwards, the policies were looked at and the policies updated. So that's an example. Another example is the co-curating idea. You look at some museums and especially their permanent exhibits, some of the labels for what's out on exhibit were written in the 60s and 70s and they weren't accurate then and they're still not accurate now. So so that's a really simple fix that we can do at least for now while the things are on exhibit. And another great example that I've encountered myself is when we've had Métis or Inuit or First Nations people come through a museum and say, you know what, that's a really sacred item. That's not for public consumption. It should be not on display. It should be taken out. And so the museum being able to respond and do that 
and remove that piece and begin the discussion of repatriation of those items. With the minority federal government now having been given an extended life through its supply and confidence agreement with the NDP, Massimo Bergamini believes the time is right to produce that long-talked-about museum policy for a new era. We are going to begin reaching out to members and to the community probably towards the end of April, early May, an initial roundtable. And then we plan to have roundtables, pan-Canadian roundtables with the larger community to reflect on those very things, reach a consensus on a vision of the country and a vision of our role within that country, and then translate it into program asks. And then everything has to be on the table, everything from funding for capital projects, which is not unusual for a government, funding for operating, which is unusual for government, and then program funding. But what we do know is that, from our perspective at least, it has to start with a new consensus on a policy framework that will establish a mutual accountability framework so that the government candidate is accountable for providing us the resources and we're accountable for delivering the kind of programming and activities that actually move the country forward. The Canadian Museum Association is the voice for Canada's vibrant museum community. From small volunteer-driven organizations to national institutions and for the millions of Canadians whose lives are enriched by museums. The Canadian Museums Association podcast is made possible thanks in part to funding from the Department of Canadian Heritage as part of the CMA Strengthening the Museum Workforce Initiative.